Memorial Day weekend, folks, uh, coming up soon here. This is Ed Fallon. Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon again. I'm your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heart man, sunny Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, if you value what we do, we could sure use your support. You can visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business, you know, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services. And Gateway's also involved with selling local produce. Uh, this time of the year is a big time of the year for that. Thanks again. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, and you can learn more at their Facebook page. All right, so looking ahead at the uh, lineup on today's program, uh, later in the program, we're going to end on a very positive note, talking about Victory Gardens. Good subject to talk about during the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, on the less positive side of things, we're going to take an unfiltered look at the question of extinction. Yeah, that, that's a hard topic to talk about, but an important one. We'll also discuss some of, we're going to, we're going to talk about bird flu and some of the cuckoo ideas around, around the bird flu uh, conspiracy theories that are emerging. And speaking of conspiracy theories, we'll be talking about my favorite conspiracy theory, um, birds aren't real. Uh, that's taken a fascinating twist in the past couple of weeks. Uh, but first, we're going to kick it off with a conversation about urban sprawl and um, development, uh, protecting the environment, farmland, property rights. Uh, joining me for that conversation is Christine Hausner from Ames, Iowa. Hello, Christine. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you, Ed. I really appreciate you having me on. Sure. You are in the crosshairs of a proposed and I'm going to put this in quote, urban fringe plan. And I'm guessing that somewhere between 0 0.00 and, and 0.001% of our audience even know what an urban fringe plan is. And I got to admit, as much as I've done work in this era, I don't quite know what it is either. So what does Ames want to do that involves this urban fringe plan? Well, the funny thing is we tried to find research on how many cities in Iowa actually have urban urban fringe plans and we were only able to find two and that was Cedar Rapids and Iowa City. So it's not a very common thing in Iowa. But basically it's an agreement that the city of Ames would have with Story County, Gilbert, Boone County, surrounding areas basically of how they are going to use the land for the future and what areas they will reserve for urban development. So wait a minute, the big question is use whose land? That's exactly right. It's not their land, it's our land, but they are basically going to tell us what we can do with it. And now the new thing with the conditional use permits, they're gonna tell you what you can do on your land also within two miles of the city of Ames and you're not even in the city limits. So how is an urban fringe plan different from or connected to annexation? Well, that's a good question. It it doesn't mean that people will automatically be annexed, but what it does mean is that when, so you say like a, an urban develop, a developer comes in and wants to develop this property that is listed as an urban growth in the fringe plan, they can actually bypass the county. They don't have to go to the county for recommendations. They can just bring it in. 
Okay, so, so the, the Herbage Fringe Plan designation kind of expedites the possible correct. developments. And so what if I'm, okay, let's say that the uh, a planner in the city decides that, that it would be a good idea to, to designate a certain area uh, for urban growth. Do they consult the current owners of that property to see if they like that idea? Oh, no. Oh, silly me. So, no, wait, so, so that, really, no, I mean, seriously, they, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, the people who currently own and operate that right. property don't have any input? No, basically oh. when this urban fringe plan uh, was first introduced, I think like in 2006, somewhere around there, not any, none of the homeowners actually knew this happened. They found out about it when they went to go either divide their property or put a house on their property. That's when they found out about it because there was no publicity surrounding it. And in fact, that's happening right now. And that's legal that you can do that. I, I guess. And Story County was actually supposed to send out 1200 postcards to all of the people that were involved in the urban fringe. And my parents haven't gotten one. None of our neighbors have gotten mm. one. So okay. um, that that's kind of how they they do things. So I noticed in the proposal that there's something called um, uh, conditional uses, and the city would pro- prohibit 14 conditional uses. Right. What what does that mean? That is basically um, so conditional uses actually falls under zoning, which falls under the county. So the city of Ames can't actually uh do anything with conditional uses so basically from my understanding what they're trying to do is change the code which will then change the law to allow the city of Ames to control what you do as far as a business on your property so if somebody already has a business and they were awarded a conditional use from the county if they are non-conforming with the city then you don't get to do that business anymore okay. they, they basically want you to fail they want your business to fail that's that's a pretty that's a pretty um blunt statement. Yeah, um, so what what about farming? What about people who are currently farming? I, I presume there's a there's a lot of farmers in oh, this yeah. targeted it's, area, correct? Right. That's okay. twenty thousand acres in urban growth and emergence reserve that the city planner wants to put in, uh, which is basically the same size as the city of Ames. So oh, it's a double. Oh, the size. so so the, this this would double the right. the, the the targeted development area of the city of Ames. Right. When that's, are we that's... ever going to use twenty thousand acres for? Well, I mean, wrong? okay. So, all right. So let, let me let me say that I, I I suspect that someday, if if the current environment, the current current way of doing business continues, they will probably put all sorts of development there: houses, right. strip malls, subdivisions, right. who knows what. They'll they'll probably do that because, yeah. I mean, again, again, cities know no restraint. Uh, developers know no restraint. All they care about is continuing the same path of, of constant growth, of yep. more and more consumption, more and more material wealth, more and more, more and more capacity for expansion. I mean, at some at some point, Ames is going to be a suburb of Des Moines, and West Des Moines will be connected to Omaha. I mean, it's, well, the, yeah, the way it's going, that's right. that, that's not that that that's the that's the direction this is heading. And, and most of this is all ag, and it's it's just baffling to me why our state doesn't protect farmland more than it does. Because I, I at some point we're going to use it all to the point where we're no longer sustainable. Right. Yeah. And that's a huge concern, especially around here, because most of that twenty thousand is going to be farmland. Yeah. And what they're essentially doing is just holding it 
for a developer. That's basically what they're doing, tying it up for yeah. development. So how does how I mean I would I would guess that people who are concerned about property rights I mean we've we've had a lot of conversations on this program about property rights uh, oftentimes connected to either eminent domain for for some some purpose often specifically to eminent domain to condemn land for pipelines oil pipelines mm-hmm. or most recently carbon dioxide pipelines but this is a different kind of property rights concern but very similar in some ways because it sounds it, like it, it sounds like the, the the city and the county or the city in particular is making plans without really giving regard to what the current property owners want to see happen with their land. Oh, they do not care what what you want to do with your property. They are forcing you basically at least with my area in Southwest Ames that's what they want you to do. They're forcing you to make a decision and make it as hard as possible to live there so that it will be developed. Yeah. That's what that's what their goal is, in my opinion. Yeah, and what what kind of environmental? Uh, I mean, beyond farmland, uh, in this twenty thousand acres, are are there streams, creeks, woodlands? Are there other places that are of, of particularly unique environmental value? Well, that's what I'm fighting for is Southwest Ames. My family's been there almost a hundred years and five generations, and we have our own ecosystem. Um, we are in the middle of two creeks. And in 2005, they did an environmental impact study with a bunch of experts, ecological, archeological, and they were all supportive of conserving this area. Mm-hmm. And apparently to the city of Ames, it doesn't matter. And I even got a letter from uh, our local chapter of the Audubon Society just last year, supporting conservation in this area mm-hmm. and, and condoning an urban development in this mm-hmm. area. And they didn't even bring it up at a city council meeting. Yeah. So it is very frustrating for us because we know how special this place is, and it will absolutely be devastating. If they put an urban development here, it will destroy our area. And we have a bunch of experts saying that you shouldn't be doing that, and we're still here talking about it. Well, sometimes, you know, in the past, they've taken streams and straightened them, put them underground. I mean, basically ruined them as a stream. But And I know you say you've got some streams running through there. Would They, they wouldn't do that, would they? Would they, would they protect Actually, the stream? For, to extend the, the gravity sewer system, they would have to unnaturally straighten the creek oh, and, gosh. Clear, okay. and clear cut a half a mile of native timber. So basically, if people from uh, Ames know on Iowa Creek on South Duff, where they just destroyed all the trees there uh, for flood mitigation, that's what would happen to our area. Mm-hmm. And that's what the city doesn't want you to know. And then on the other side, Worley Creek proper, which actually dumps into Iowa, they would make that the sole storm sewer drainage system for any development in Southwest Ames. I would guess. So, I would guess that some of the uh, residents of the city wouldn't be particularly pleased with that. Yeah. I would hope not. I mean, I think in this day and age, when everybody's so much about environmental concerns and, and conservation mm. and climate change, that that people, I know a lot of people weren't happy with what happened on South Duff and. That's why I'm trying to get awareness out there that that's exactly what would happen to our area if this would go through. So back to the question of farmland. Again, you've got 20,000 acres that they want to annex, doubling the size of the city of Ames. And um, and, and then, again, some of that farmland is the most productive land in the world. And um, some of it may not be used used for, well, actually most of it is probably not used for actual food production when you consider that, what, 40, 50% of our corn crop goes to ethanol and a whole bunch more goes to feed, you know, it's probably not being used for direct food production to the extent that it is capable of. But eventually, and maybe not too far in the future, that could be a big deal. I mean, look what's happening in Ukraine right now. 
with uh, right. with uh, I mean the, that's one of the breadbaskets of the world, and it is it is devastated in terms of its capacity to export and this year grow additional grain crops. Um, look at the, um, the the we're going to talk later in this program about the high heat in India, 122 degrees and wow. an extended heat wave, and that is impacting India's wheat crop. I mean, the the country right. is the, the government has put limits on what can be exported because they're concerned they're not going to have enough to feed their own people. So, and, and again, look closer to home. Look at the California, the um, the uh, Central Valley in California. How many uh, concerns and how, how many ways that's being disrupted by drought? Um, fi- you know, I mean, fire isn't threatening directly, I don't think, but the, the drought is a huge problem. And so right. we have all these issues where food is being compromised. And where the, you know, the U.N. is saying we need to be prepared for food shortages soon. So it seems like the last thing you want to do is to take great farmland, which is what Iowa and much of the upper Midwest is known for. You take great farmland and put a, a mall on it or, or housing development right. or tear it put up for a zoo. That most of us can't even afford. And, yeah. you know, that's. Yeah, you're exactly right. To me, ag should come first. We shouldn't be relying on on Mexico or China for for beef and cattle and corn and soybeans. We have everything that we need right here. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, tearing down the rainforest in Brazil to grow soybeans and and to raise cattle is about the most right. the worst environmental idea you could possibly come up yep, with. Absolutely. And you know, I, and I know folks were talking about one specific city. Ames, I think about what fifty thousand people. Ames is, I think, roughly. Well, basically, it's sixty thousand. Sixty thousand students leave; it drops in half. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, we're talking about one city. I mean, you know, modestly, modest, smaller city in, in Iowa. But this scenario is repeated over and over across the country because because uh, people have not gotten over the notion that growth does not, gr- growth should not be all about getting bigger all the time. Right. Exactly. You know, progress I mean, isn't always progress. No, I mean, you know. The, Constant physical growth is the—that's the model of a cancer cell. Okay, you—you don't—you don't continue to grow physically. Or if you grow, if you're a human being, and you continue to grow physically after age 19, at some point you're going to weigh 400 pounds. You know. Right. So, um, I agree. Ames needs to grow. Every city needs to grow. And you know what? There will always be capacity for growth inside your current boundaries. You know, that's another mm-hmm. issue that we have. We have fields, open fields right in town where we really? don't have anything there. They they need to be working on infill before they actually start working yeah. on sprawling other areas. Oops. And, you know, we brought that up to them as well, that we need to use what we already have. But this is happening. I know Alleman and Ankeny are having a big issue about their right. farmland in between and Ankeny is getting too close, close to Alleman. And I know this is happening all over Des Moines. It's happening a lot in our state. And all over the country. So, hey, yeah. in, the, in the couple of minutes we've got less, less left here, Christine, what would you like to suggest uh, that people do if they're interested in, in, uh, in pursuing this with you well, further? I- the main reason I was doing this was just to hopefully maybe get the word out to people that this is actually happening because if, unless you check the paper, unless you check the, the city agenda, you're not going to know this is going on. So I hope that people find out more information. They can go to the Story County website and there's a link there for the Urban Fringe Plan. You can click on it. You can leave comments if you want. They are leaving public comment open until June 14th. Um, there is another meeting that the last meeting for outreach that is going to be happening on June 7th at the city church at 2400 Oakwood Road in Ames between four and six. 
if anybody wants to come out and support us, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to write emails to city council members, Tory County supervisors, it's just important that people understand what is going on. And I, I just feel like, you know, we as human beings need to do a better job. I don't want to have to tell my six-year-old, this is his play, favorite place on the planet that I couldn't do enough to save it. And that's just too many conversations all yeah. over the world that people are having with their kids because yep. we're just stu too, too stupid to do the right thing and to save well, it. So and I'm not, we, sure, I'm not sure stupidity or greed. I, mean, I really think that a lot of it is well, just well, you've got yeah. developers who really, really want to continue to make incredible amounts of money. Uh, Christina, we need to start thinking about the long term. I know too. we do. Christina, I need to run to a break. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Christine Hausner in Ames, Iowa, about a proposed uh, a major uh, development proposal for that city. And again, if you've got an issue in your, your town where you think the city or the county is not going about it the right way, let me know. I want to hear about that. That's an area I've had a lot of interest in and continue to work on. Hey, we've got to take a short break. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host. When we come back, we're going to talk about some cuckoo ideas about bird flu. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Back to the Fallon Forum. At a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website, donate, spread the word, sign up for our weekly blogs. Even better, become a monthly supporter. And, uh, you know, if you're a business owner or a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open from Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Okay, so bird flu, again, a big deal nationally, globally, and in Iowa. And, you know, interestingly, let's see, seven years ago, I mean, the bird flu seems to hit March and April. And seven years ago, in March and April of 2015, I was walking 400 miles along the proposed route of the Dakota Access Pipeline, which unfortunately was built. And I remember getting to, uh, Boone, uh, let's see, I, I think it was, it was either Cherokee or Buena Vista County. I think Buena Vista County, when the uh, first outbreak started happening, 
and they were happening right about where I was walking. So I was aware of that. Um, I wasn't anywhere near one of the facilities. I was not hobnobbing with migratory birds, and I wasn't picking up chickens along the road and taking them home with me. So I think it was safe. It was just kind of a weird feeling to know that I was near this um, this uh, nationally, uh, you know, th- this story that was breaking nationally uh, and killing millions and millions of birds or millions requiring that millions of birds needed to be killed. By the way, I'm not arguing against that against the need to kill birds that come down with uh, with uh, the avian flu. But I will argue against uh, uh, against whether or not it makes sense to raise poultry in such huge facilities. That's another conversation. First, let's dig back into this a bit. So, uh, of the um, of the uh, 37 million birds killed across the U.S., 13 million in Iowa. So a third of them in Iowa alone. And um, now, of the uh, of the 15 flocks that have been killed in Iowa, that affected flocks, all, all of them destroyed. Again, 15 flocks, 13 million birds. Four of those flocks are backyard chickens. And I know that, you know, the, the, the uh, proponents of industrial agriculture like to always point the finger at the, the dirtiness of backyard chicken keeping, the, the potential for disease. And come on, I'm okay. So we've got one backyard flock. Actually, the very first case in Iowa was a backyard flock. That was 42 chickens. Uh, there was another backyard flock, flock later in March, 11 chickens. And then recently there were two more, one of, of six birds, <laughs> another one of 46 birds. And, uh, you know, again, so what's that? What's that? 46 plus 6 plus uh, 42 um, plus 11. That's less than 100, I think, by quick math, out of 13 million killed. So, again, this is primarily a problem of big agriculture, all right? And, uh, you know, some of the other, in the commercial flocks, I mean, they're, you know, you had one, one that was as, quote, small as 28,000 turkeys. That was up in Hamilton County. And then you had one as big as uh, in, at 5.3 million egg-laying hens in Buena Vista County. But they're all huge operations. And, um, you know, I, I, I was curious about, you know, in, in, our, in our own neighborhood here in Des Moines, there are, well, I'm not even 100% sure. We're not that big of a neighborhood. What, five blocks by five blocks? I think there are four families that raise chickens. There may be five. I don't know for sure. But um, nationally, it is estimated that there are 13 million Americans who keep backyard chickens. That's a lot of flocks of 2 to 10 to 20 birds. That's a lot of people raising, you know, raising their own eggs. And that's exciting to me because, uh, you know, again, I don't know. It's so hard to know how many people are actually doing this. Even I'm not even 100% sure in my own neighborhood, let alone in the city of Des Moines or the state of Iowa. But nationally, somehow they estimate 13 million Americans keeping backyard chickens. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more. But the, um, you know, we could get into an argument or a discussion about the sense of raising birds in these huge facilities. And again, right now, of course, to meet the egg demand. Or, and the turkey and 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 uh, broiler hen demand, there would have to be a, there'd be a big shift in how we raise birds, and I think that should happen, and I think it needs to happen soon. And I think when it does happen, you won't see bird flu being as problematic again. 
Only 15 flocks in Iowa have been affected, and yet that's 13 million birds. And out of those 15 flocks, four were backyard chickens, and those counted, accounted for right about 100. But interestingly, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of want to go on a couple tangents here. First of all, I'm, all, I'm fascinated by conspiracy theories, you know. And there is, well, there's, there's a few conspiracy theories around this bird flu. And I, I totally agree with the, I've, I've heard from some of the, um, the farmers who operate these big confinements. And again, I'm not a big confinement fan. I understand why they do it that way. I understand that government supports that, that industry supports that. I do think there should be a better system. But I respect the people who raise birds that way, trying to make a living because that's how they have to do it. But, um, you know, it's no doubt this is happening. No, no doubt that bird flu is a, is a deal. But there are those out there who are trying to spread these conspiracy theories. And one is that, um, that bird flu was genetically engineered as a weapon with the um, probable intent of uh, initiating a new round of, of uh, COVID lockdowns and, and uh, vaccine you know, requirements and whatnot. Um, I'm having a real hard time buying that. Uh, another theory, and this one's even better, is that 5G cell towers are somehow to blame for the virus. Um, you know, I mean, you can make arguments against 5G cell towers. Maybe some of those are worth looking into. But the theory that they're to blame for the you know, avian flu, yeah, that's kind of wild. Uh, and for some reason, that theory seems to have really caught on in India, of all places. I don't know. Where it's not just the U.S. that's prone to buying conspiracy theories. You know, and I, um, you know, do I believe that all governments and corporations are evil? No. But I do believe that some government officials and corporate honchos will conspire to do harm to the public and certainly to the environment. Absolutely. And, you know, there's plenty of proof of that. I don't, that, that doesn't need to be an opinion. There's plenty of proof out there. Uh, that's one reason we have super fun sites, Okay. So, you know, that said, so yeah, granted, there are government officials and corporations that will do bad, that will do harm. They will conspire to do harm. That said, you know, we got to be careful. Not everything is a conspiracy. Not everything is, not everyone is conspiring against us. Now, you know, and you may disagree with me, but I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that 9-11 was not an inside job. I'm going to even go further on a limb and tell you that I don't think humans, I think humans did land on the moon. Sorry. Uh, and I also believe, uh, and I wish it wasn't, I wish it wasn't the case, but I do believe that Elvis is dead. I'm just going to say it. I think Elvis probably passed away. And, uh, and one more. Finally, um, sorry, Rachel, but I do believe the earth is not flat. Anyway, so, uh, you know, <laughs> But my favorite conspiracy theory, tying it back to birds and bird flu, is the theory that birds aren't real. This has been going on. So this this, uh, this uh, uh, notion has been alive and well since 2017 when a young guy named Peter McIndoe quit college um, <laughs> after he was... Uh, there was the, the women's marches that were happening after Trump got elected in early 2017. He, uh, and I'm quoting here from, from him, quote, McIndoe says, counter-protesters who were older, bigger white men at the women's marchers, they were clear aggravators. They were encroaching on something that was not their event. They had no business being there. So he thought, well, I don't have any business being there either. So I'm going to make a sign. 
And he he didn't even have an idea what sign he wanted to make. So he, he wrote a sign, Birds Aren't Real. And he says, quote, It's not like I sat down and thought, I'm going to make a satire. I just thought, I should write a sign that has nothing to do with what is going on. An absurdist statement to bring to the equation. So he did that. <laughs> and um, went down there with a sign, Birds Aren't Real. And as he stood there with the counter-protesters, again, these are, these are mostly bigger, wider male guys, I guess, protesting the Women's March. Um, and as he stood there with his sign, people started asking him, what's that sign mean? And he, uh, <laughs> he he's, a, he's a brilliant improviser. He started saying it was part of a movement that had been around for like half a century. And uh, that it originally started to, uh, the movement originally was intended to save American birds. But since the movement had failed... The um, deep state destroyed all the birds and replaced them with surveillance drones. And now every bird you see, every bird you see out there, do not be fooled. Those are not real birds. And they're all carrying surveillance equipment to spy on you. That's the theory. Um, and there were some people that, <laughs> that bought it. So uh, the story in The Guardian about that, I mean, he, he only recently came out. Um, he's been leading this on as if it was real for several years now. He just recently kind of said, okay, this is what I'm really doing. And in the story in the garden, he said, it says, quote, it's a made-up conspiracy theory that is just realistic enough, as conspiracies go, to convince QAnon supporters that birds aren't real, but has just enough satirical flags that Generation Z recognizes immediately what is going on. And so, you know, he, um, uh, McIndoe had... Had, had protests, rallies, and he got very animated, jumping up and down in his car, having him had a megaphone. Um, people would show up and birds aren't real, birds aren't real, pigeons are spying on you. If it flies, it spies. I mean, there's some great lines here. And, um, <laughs> uh, and you know, most of the people participating were in on it. They kind of know. They they kind of knew it was a joke. But again, not a joke because we have a problem with conspiracy theories in this country. Again. Back to bird flu. It doesn't help that there are people dismissing the notion, the, the, dismissing the, the reality that, yes, bird flu is happening. You know, to say that it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a fabricated thing, that trying to connect it with, you know, your pet peeve of the day, whether it's connecting it to 5G cell towers or to COVID, concerns about COVID, you know, there's enough weirdness in the world without having to um, believe those things. And so his point, McIndoe's point, is that this was a, a conspiracy theory to kind, of, to kind of expose the foolishness of so many conspiracy theories. And again, I'm back to my earlier point. I believe entirely, I know it's, it's true, government officials and bad corporate honchos can and do conspire against the public good, against the environment. They do this. We know they do this. Again, for whatever other reasons you want to look at, we have super fun sites. But that doesn't mean it's always a conspiracy theory. And again, I think, I, I, don't, I don't know where this goes next. I mean, maybe he's going to make a, a heck of a lot of money on t-shirt sales because um, you can get your birds on real t-shirts out there if you want them, folks. There's, a, there's plenty of other swag as well. Um, <laughs> Not being into that stuff, I'm probably not going to bother to buy one, but um, maybe this guy will actually make a living doing this because I think he's done as a service. And again, almost accidentally, but to, um, to take a, 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 a theory, uh, an idea that is pretty bizarre, 
that all the birds were replaced, killed and then replaced with drones. And to have some people actually believe that, um, but then to use it to say, okay, look at how far and extreme we've gone with some of these conspiracy theories. I mean, QAnon, look at some of the stuff that QAnon is spouting. They're no less crazy than the idea that birds are all killed and replaced by drones. So <laughs> anyway, uh, the best thing I found out there uh, from this, uh, check, check, uh, uh, check out Pete McIndoe, Peter McIndoe's interview with 60 Minutes. It starts off with him playing his role as the true believer that birds aren't real. And then he just kind of breaks into, okay, here's what I'm really all about. It's pretty funny. It's a great story. Hey, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. i got to go from something a little bit funny, I'm afraid, to something that's dead serious. And I'm sorry, the next segment, it's a hard one to talk about. But we'll be back in a minute with that conversation. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Support this alternative to the angry shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake for helping to sponsor this program. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, so, you know, I, I have been concerned, deeply concerned about the climate crisis since 2007. And I, uh, I really had thought we'd be further along in addressing it by now. And yes, we have made progress, but you look at the progress uh, versus what's continuing to transpire in our world. And it's, uh, it's clear that we're not, um, we're not, uh, we're not doing it. We're not doing what needs to happen. I want to refer to first a, an article in The Guardian. Uh, quote, extreme temperatures and low rainfall since mid-March have caused widespread suffering, including deaths, crop losses, forest fires, and cuts to power and water supplies in India. Now, I think a lot of people have heard that there is a unprecedented heat wave going on in India. How unprecedented? Uh, March was the Hottest March in India since records began 122 years ago. 
Pakistan also saw record temperatures. Um, March was not only hot, it was dry. Those often go together. And there was 71% less rain in India and 62% less rain than normal in Pakistan. That's a huge hit. Now, um, that heat wave uh, continued into April, and we're still seeing it in May. Uh, there was a temperature reading recently of 122 degrees Fahrenheit. I can't even imagine what 122 feels like. If I get my compost pile up to 122, I'm feeling good about it, and I can't keep my hand in it. So, you know, the, um, the early onset of this heat wave and the... Um, and the uh, the, the decreased rainfall, that has affected India's wheat production. I mentioned that earlier in the program, that um, we're not only concerned about what's going to happen in Ukraine with food supplies, what's happening in the Central Valley of California, but also what's happening with, in India. Uh, you know. So Dr. Fahad Saeed, he's a climate scientist in India, uh, says, and I quote, one can imagine how bad it would be even for a 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer world. Any warming beyond 1.5 can pose an existential threat for vulnerable populations in the absence of a strong adaptation and mitigation action. And I want to, re I want to emphasize the last uh, 10 or so words of that sentence. Um, in the absence of a strong adaptation and mitigation action, you know, we don't know where this is going to go, folks. But we don't, you, you no longer, you have no credibility. Those are the, the people who want to talk about the potential for climate change are deceiving you. It is here, it is now, it is happening. Look no further, I mean, I mean look no further than your own state. I mean, Iowa, gosh, two derechos in two years. Um, Tornadoes in early March that destroyed a friend of mine's home just south of here. Uh, the highest number of tornadoes ever on record in December when there are never tornadoes. So yeah, you don't, and do the math in your own state. Look at your own situation. Look at New Mexico, what's going on there. I mean, every place is experiencing these impacts. It's not something that's going to happen. It's something that's happening. And I'm increasingly convinced since we don't seem to have the or the 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 will, the willpower, the political will, and the even the personal will to wean ourselves of fossil fuel and change our lifestyle drastically, since we don't seem to have the capacity to do that, I mean we have to do that. <laughs> Sooner the better, but it's not happening at the speed and intensity that it needs to happen. So what um, Dr. Fahad Saeed says here is so important. Um, with this existential threat, especially targeting vulnerable populations, we need a strong adaptation and mitigation strategy. So, you know, a, a study last week um, examined the, um, you know, there was in 2010 there was a, a horrific. Um, in 2010, there was a horrific heat wave in India and Pakistan as well, and um, the study just released last week, this month, May 2022 found that that heat wave was 100 times more likely because of climate change. And similar studies have showed that the, um, the floods in South Africa, the floods that hit Germany and Belgium last year, the heat wave in our own continent, um, and the storms in, in Africa, these were all um, made much worse because of global warming. So Umar Haq, 
He's a Pakistani-born um, writer, economist, uh, lives in, in uh, Great Britain. Uh, he is British. And um, what he writes is, is hard to read, and it's, it's hard for you to hear this. I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to intentionally scare people, but I think when there's genuinely something to be scared about, we should be honest about what's going on. And the title of one of his recent, um, this was past week actually, his recent uh, article is, The Age of Extinction is Here, Some of Us Just Don't Know It Yet. And I'll just read you what he wrote. He says, why do you think people are a little freaked out by what I'm talking about these days? I was asking my kid's sister, and she laughed. And she says, quote, you're basically telling them it's the end of the world? And uh, Hawk writes, it was the night of the eclipse. A red moon illuminated the sky. 300,000 years had gone by since our kind walked the earth. And now it would never be the same again. Let me try and tell you how I've come to think of the event, as I've begun to call it, the cataclysm, the extinction, a different earth. My friends in the Indian subcontinent tell me stories these days. It seemed like science fiction. The heat wave there is pushing the boundaries of survivability. My, old, my other sister says that in the old beautiful city of artists and poets, Eagles are now falling dead from the sky. They're just dropping dead and landing on houses, monuments, shops. They can't fly anymore. The streets, she says, are lined with dead things. Dogs, cats, cows, animals of all kinds are just there, dead. They have perished in the killing heat. They can't survive. People, too, try to flee. They run indoors. They spend all day in canals and rivers and lakes. And those who can't, too, line the streets, passed out, pushed to the edge. They're poor countries. We won't know how many this heat wave, was, heat wave has killed for some time to come. Many won't even be counted. Think about all that for a moment. Really, stop and think about it. Stop the automatic motions of everyday life you go through and think about it. You see, my Western friends read stories like this, and then they go back to obsessing over the Kardashians, or Wonder Woman, or Johnny Depp and Batman. They don't understand yet, because this is beyond the limits of what Homo sapiens can really comprehend, the event. That world is coming for them too. The analogy is often used to describe climate change of frogs in a boiling pot. It's useful, but only to a certain degree. When the pot boils, they're taken out and eaten. We were in a boiling pot, and now we're at the stage where we are about to get taken out and eaten. This is when things start to get really, really bad, really, really fast. The way that I've come to think of the event, a species that's been around for 300,000 years, now having altered the climate in ways that haven't happened for millions of years, triggering an extinction event, the way I think about it is this. Imagine a black hole. Humanity is lined up before it. Everyone has to march through. Some are at the front of the line. They reach the other side first. Some are at the back of the line. They're still laughing and joking and pretending, maybe. Nobody much hears from those who've gone through because, well, it's a black hole. And on the other side, nothing is ever to be the same again. This is where we are now. We are at the threshold of the cataclysm. Some of us are now crossing over to the other side of a different planet, one that's going to become unlivable. This isn't, quote, going to happen or, quote, might happen. It is actually happening now. 
Those are my friends, for example, in the Indian subcontinent where eagles are falling dead from the sky, where the streets are lined with dead things. Extinction. The event. You can literally see it happening there. They are the first ones through the event horizon, if you like, the lip of the black hole. They are canaries in the coal mine, my Indian and Pakistani and Bengali friends. They are on the other side and are experiencing the world in the event, and that world is coming for us all. I don't use the words, quote, climate change to describe any of this because, well, they're inadequate. The way that we tell that story has led to a kind of shocking sense of apathy and ignorance about the reality of what we face. People read the science and think that if the temperature rises by one degree, two, three, what's the big deal? <laughs> Who cares? That's not even a hot day. Wrong. A better way to tell the story is something like this. On average, when the temperature rises one degree, the seasons change by a factor of 10 at equatorial regions. One degree, 1.5, which is where we are now, the summers are 10 to 15 degrees Celsius hotter. Two degrees, 20. Three degrees, 30. We're heading for three degrees. It's already 50 degrees Celsius in the subcontinent. Again, that's about 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Spain is bracing for an extreme heat wave of about 40 degrees plus, as is Europe, as is much of America. That's at one degree of so-called or so of global warming. At two degrees, the subcontinent hits 60 degrees Celsius. Spain and Europe hits, hit 50. At three degrees, equatorial regions hit 70 degrees Celsius or more. Spain and Europe hit 60. I'm sure that some will quibble with that interpretation, so go ahead and, and adjust however you'd like. It doesn't really matter. At 50 degrees, which is where the subcontinent is now, life dies off. The birds fall from the sky. The streets become mass graves. People flee and try to just survive. Energy grids begin to break. Economies grind to a halt. Extinction happens. This is the threshold. We are already hitting it. We can see it now in startling, grim, vivid detail. The event is not some kind of abstraction or prediction. Extinction is now really happening in plain sight, in places around the globe, and they are revealing to us the limits of what our civilization can survive. That limit is hit somewhere between 40 and 50 degrees. After that point, life as we know it comes to an end. My Western friends still don't really grasp this at all. They imagine that as the seasons get exponentially hotter, they can simply turn up the air conditioning. LOL. Sorry, it doesn't work like that. Why not? Not just because energy grids will fail or even because at a certain point even air conditioning just fails. It's because of life. My Western friends don't think these days. This fantasy of turning up the air conditioning and sitting in your apartment or house, they ignore the now obvious signs, birds falling from the sky, dead things lining the streets. What are you going to do? Sit in your air-conditioned home while everything else goes extinct? It doesn't work like that. Those things, those beings, birds, cows, sheep, chickens, whatever, they provide us with the basics too. They perish, we perish. Insects nourish our soil. Birds eat insects, and on and on. My Western friends don't understand that we are part of systems, ecosystems in this case. And as their foundations are ripped out, we can scarcely survive. The idea that you can sit in your air-conditioned home in comfort while everything else goes extinct is a fantasy, a delusion. What will you eat? Who will turn the soil? 
who will keep the crop healthy, crops healthy? Where will the basics of life come from? Our civilization collapses somewhere between 50 and 60 degrees Celsius. Bang, poof, gone. Nothing works after that point. Everything begins to die, not just animals and us in the case, but our systems, which depend on them. Economics, crater. Inflation skyrockets. People grow poorer. Fascism erupts as a consequence. You can already see that beginning to happen around the globe, but it's just the beginning. Imagine how much worse inflation is going to get when extinction really begins to bite. Everything fails at the threshold we are now reaching. Our civilization doesn't survive it. Democracy has its throat slit by fascism and theocracy as people, afraid, angry, desperate, turn to fundamentalist religion or authoritarian brutality to give them answers or just a meal. Economies become mechanisms for basic survival, not opportunity or prosperity. Society and community are destroyed by the bitter every-man-for-himself quest for self-preservation. This is the world we're heading into. You can see it now spreading from America to India to Europe and beyond. What happens in such a world? Do people pull together to save it? Probably not. Inequality spirals even further. The rich find ways to mobilize what few resources are left and profiteer. COVID gave us a, visit, a vivid example of that. Governments paralyzed are captured by fanatical sects and factions, and nobody much arrives to help you when you need it. COVID again. Culture becomes a war between those who think of death basically as a good thing, a purification, and those who don't. Think of America's bitter culture wars. What happens in such a world? Society turns predatory, regressive, eats itself, which is what a civilization collapsing is. We are crossing the threshold now of extinction, of the event. So far, it's been invisible to us, and we've been living in ignorant bliss. The insects are dying off. Who cares? Hey, did you see what Kim Kardashian wore to the Met Gala? The fish are dying off. So what, LOL? Bro, let's go watch a Marvel movie. The, great, the Earth's great systems are all reaching tipping points. The Amazon, the boreal forests, the ocean currents, the poles of reinforcing a hotter and hotter planet. Dude, what's your problem? Tucker Carlson says we're the master race. We are crossing the threshold now. Extinction is visible. The eagles fall from the sky, taking their last breaths on the way down to a burning planet. The streets are lined with death. We're not frogs solely boiling in a pot anymore. We're being taken out of the pot and we're about to be eaten. My Western friends are still in denial that any of this will happen to them. Ignorance is bliss. The world is coming for us all. There is going to be no escaping it. The ones in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka are some of the first through the event horizon, but we must all cross it because, well, we're all on this planet. Extinction is something that happens to a planet. That doesn't mean, my usual caveats, that everything dies off. It means it, it, means it the way bio, biologists use the term, a mass extinction, in which many, many things do, and life resets itself, probably in new ways. After us comes a new earth, 300,000 years of us, barely the blink of an eye. Life will survive, but our civilization won't. The event in time, the event, that time in between civilizations, will be a dark age, and you can see the dark age falling even now. It is every bird falling from the sky, every animal dropping dead from the heat, every democracy being shredded by lunatics, in all the deaths we will never count. Our systems, all of them, economic, social, political, are beginning to fail. Because, my friends, this is extinction. 
Some of us just don't know it yet. Again, that's um, an article by Umert Haq. I'm sorry I have to share that with you, but that was shared with me by John Davis, a friend who um, minces no words when it comes to the urgency of climate change. And, um, you know, what he's saying is not that much different, really, than what the movie Don't Look Up was all about. And we need to not only start taking this stuff more seriously and adjusting how we live, but we have to think about those strategies that might be able to get us through the black hole, through the event. Again, let's minimize the impact of what's happening going forward. And let's think about what we need to do to try to pull through it. <laughs> I, I say that and I laugh a little bit because I don't know what else to do. Uh, I do know one thing we should be doing is um, growing food. And when I come back from a short break, Kathy Burns is going to join me. And we're going to talk on a very positive note about Memorial Day and what Victory Gardens have to do with Memorial Day and what Victory Gardens have to do with pulling us through to a better future. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor. Or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can also become a sponsor of the Fallon Forum. Thanks to uh, Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations, owner Mark Lipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Yeah, welcome back. And again, folks, Memorial Day weekend happening here. And um, with me for a conversation relevant to that is Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Kathy, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. And again, sorry, the, the previous segment, I don't really apologize for it, but it was pretty serious stuff and not very positive. And I think that's okay. We need to be, we need to be honest about that. But we also need to be honest about the possibility for things that can really make a difference in a very positive way, such as Victory Gardens. Victory Gardens. Let's talk about the history and then we'll see how it's relevant today. The reason I thought it would be a good idea to talk about Victory Gardens close to Memorial Day is that uh, Memorial Day was established to honor war veterans uh, of the Civil War, originally. Oh, I and, didn't realize it went back that far. Yes. Wow. And okay. um, 
and then eventually, and it was called Decoration Day, but they right. were decorating the graves with what uh, the establishers of that holiday presumed would be growing everywhere in the U.S., which would be flowers on May 30th. So that was the, the reason May 30th was officially designated as the day, and now Memorial Day fluctuates depending yeah. on you know when it's a Monday. Um, but I, I really like the idea of thinking about growing things and and remembering and honoring not just not just the people who fought and died in the war, but the people who supported later wars through the efforts of trying to make sure there was enough food to eat, not just in the U.S. And, and, but globally. And you know, and in World War II, well, in World War One in particular, and World War Two as well, uh, people rose to the call to action: mm-hmm. grow food, support mm-hmm. support what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in World War II, that would be, you know, against fascism, grow food. And, and people responded. I can't remember how many, uh, how much food was produced, but it was a lot. Uh, a, a lot. Um, well, in in Europe, originally, the, uh, you know, there were, there were no farmers left because they all went to war. And the farms were being used for battlefields. So that's why the U.S. was called upon to ship all kinds of food overseas. Uh, and then right. Woodrow Wilson's... Um, uh, new uh, U.S. Food Administration was headed up by the future President Herbert Hoover, and he and others decided that, yes, let's have a call to action and get people to grow food so that there's food to eat here and we can still ship it overseas. And it just went gangbusters because people felt a sense of duty to each other and duty to the cause, and they wanted every piece of available land to be uh, growing food, not yeah. just your backyard, but playgrounds, yeah, right. uh, community parks, uh, mm-hmm. it, just spare lots. Yeah, And not only growing vegetables, but also raising chickens. There's a great poster mm-hmm. from World War One about the pa- your patriotic duty to have two chickens per person. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, just for full, full disclosure, we have a, um, we have a, uh, the chicken equivalent of a bottle calf, uh, <laughs> uh, in our in, in our studio here, chirping in the background. So that's yeah, that's not intended to add ambiance to the uh, to the segment of the program, but uh, she, she maybe was injured. It does. She, she was, was injured, injured, and so she needed to be brought in. And uh, she's in under a, a heat lamp, and she's keeping warm, and she's healing from her wounds, and we're really happy about that. So what can we do to get Memorial Day to, again, be a, a day that recognizes the importance of initiatives like the Victory Garden Initiative? Well, I think if you remember the, the people who fought and uh, sacrificed their own lives, that that's important, but also the other sacrifices that people made. And mm-hmm. part of establishing our our you know success for the future and not not in not in a war right now but in some of in face of some of the hardships that we're facing now like food systems uh, being dismantled like uh, through covid through climate chaos through you, through the war in Ukraine and other mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's so many ways in which food is being disrupted right now if you think in a broader sense you can think about uh, growing food as Part of your patriotic duty, not just in the U.S., but I think to our our Earth family, um, we can we can honor each other by making sure that we know where our food comes from, we grow food locally, and we support that. And 
I like seeing more communities getting behind messaging to their populations that, hey, we're going to make some spaces available. Um, we're going to provide you with information. We're going to provide you with incentives. And uh, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a community mm. effort. Yeah. And uh, again, I do believe that chickens should be a part of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although, You're that chicky? She's, she's really having a hard time <laughs> adjusting to being away from the flock, but it wasn't working well for her. But yeah, um, so I know that uh, here in Des Moines that we've been working with the city of Des Moines on the uh, Food Security Task Force. But I mean, I, I'm going to be candid. I was very, very pleased that more than half the city council came out to see Birds of Bees Urban mm -hmm. Farm. Yes. And that every member of the council, all seven, voted in favor of establishing the Food Security Task Force, which is, I mean, kind of a, it's kind of an, a, 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 a very informally institutionalized uh, framework for a Victory Garden movement. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, I mean, we, we met for six months and produced, a, I think, a really, really good website with some good resources. And, and, and offered some changes for the city code to make it easier for people and uh, to be successful growing food. And then it just died. It just ground to a halt. <laughs> well, and I, I, that's what I don't get is why, you know, you start something significant at a time of crisis and then boom, you just kind of run out of steam. I hope we get it back up and running. Yeah. So. In the meantime, we're, we're doing what we can and hosting workshops and giving uh, talks to community groups and children's groups and whatever we can do. So uh, let's keep growing. Food. Yeah, and now next time we have a group that wants to come in and, and check out the urban farm and our own version of Victory Gardens, they can also Absolutely. admire the uh, chirping chick. <laughs> We have the buzzing bees, and now we have the chirping chick. That's right. <laughs> and you have got to enjoy, you had a chance to enjoy the chirping chick as well. So congratulations. Hey, uh, thanks to my caller today, uh, Christine Hausner. Uh, thanks to our production team, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. You can go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference and spread the word. Thanks again, and we will be back again next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.